0: Leviticus, who do you think this, this part of the law is going to be about? If it was called Zebulonicus, you would know. Oh, it's probably about those Zebulites. I wonder what they called themselves. Or ben- Benjaminicus. But it's called Leviticus because it deals with the Levites, their responsibilities. The laws that they were mostly responsible to keep, and their service in the sacrificial system. So that's what the book mostly covers. From chapter 8 through chapter 10, it's a narrative. I don't know if you're familiar with the narrative, but that just means it, it tells a story. It tells us the record of what happened under certain circumstances, 8, 9, and 10, are the only chapters out of all the chapters in this book that are narrative. The rest of it is laws. Laws, you can call them rules, you can call them regulations, however it is. But if, you, if you're if you looking for, as the assignment is for this summer series, the main lesson in the book, then look at chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. We're going to come back to the first few chapters, but this is where I want us to go to get what I think is the main lesson of Leviticus. This is what it says in the first two verses of chapter 19. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. If anything, in my estimation, sums up the whole of Leviticus, this is it. This is not the only time in the book this kind of a statement is made, but this is the one that I think says it the best for our purposes tonight. Now, imagine you're a little league coach and you want your ball players to be really good hitters. What do you do? Do you get them together every time at practice and you say, I want you guys to be really good hitters? And then 10 minutes later you call them back and you say, I want you guys to be really good hitters. And then 10 minutes later you call them in from the fields. I want you guys to be really good hitters. How effective do you think that would be? If you want them to be good hitters, what do you have to do? Batting practice. practice. You got to tell them, all right, boys, everybody line up. This is how you do it. This is how you stand in relation to the plate. This is where the ball's gonna come. This is where you look for the ball to be, but between your knees and your shoulders. I think that's what I remember from my little league coach. you got to keep your eye on the ball. I was, who was I talking to just a couple of weeks ago about about trademarks? used to be bats were made out of wood and you had to keep the trademark up. Otherwise, if you hit it, you'd know it because you would feel it and you might even break the bat. You don't have to worry about that these days, but whatever it is, you, you bend at the knees, you hit with your legs, not like this, but... You, you put your, you put your legs and your thighs into it, and that's where your power comes. You teach them all of those things, and if you teach them all of those things and they do all of those things, what are your players going to be? They're going to be good hitters. So God tells them, He says, "I want you to be holy." But what most of the book is, it's instruction on how to be holy. If you do what is in this book, you will wind up being a holy people. Now if you go back to chapter 27 and I know this probably sounds like a weird approach starts in chapter 19 and then instead of going back to the first chapter he goes to chapter 27 well I've gone too far it's 26 chapter 26 this is God. Telling them right here in the volume of the book, if you do these things, here's what I'm going to do for you. Chapter 26, verse 1, You shall not make for yourselves idols, nor shall you set up for yourselves an image of a sacred pillar, nor shall you place a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their season so that the land will yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Indeed, your threshing will last for you until grape gathering and the grape gathering will last until sowing time. Thus, or You will thus eat your food to the full and live securely in your land. I shall also grant peace in the land, so that you may lie down with no one making you tremble. I shall also eliminate harmful beasts from the land, and no sword will pass through your land. But you will chase your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword." So I will turn toward you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will confirm my covenant with you. You will eat the old supply and clear out the old because of the new. Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would not be their slaves. And I broke the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. What's he doing in verse 13? In verse 13, he's saying, look what I've already done for you. You were slaves in Egypt. I broke those bars. I brought you out. Here's what I want to do for you. I want to bring you into a land and give you prosperity. I want you to have food to the full. I want you to have peace and security. I want your enemies to be afraid to even think about attacking you guys. That's what I want for you, my people. Here's how you're going to get it. And then he gives them the look. The book of Leviticus. Be holy. But not just for the sake of being religious or being churchy. Be holy. Why? Why does God say to be holy? Because he is holy. You be holy because I am holy. And if you do that, here's what I'm going to do for you. As your holy God and the one who's already shown you the kind of power that I have and how I've already rescued you from slavery, I'm going to bless you in ways... You can't even imagine. Just like, uh, what is it, Ephesians 3.20? God is able to bless us in ways that we, beyond what we can think or even imagine. And I, if you're like me, I can think and imagine quite a bit. But Paul says to the church in Ephesus, God can bless us more than we can even think or imagine. And in ways we might not expect. Because normally when we think about being blessed, we think about this. We think about the dollar. But there are a lot of things to bless you with that God has that don't have anything to do with money and things that are so great and fantastic that you could never buy them with money. And that's what he's talking about here in chapter 26. These are the blessings. Now, you may have noticed already, starting immediately in verse 14, what's there? Here's what's going to happen if you don't keep this law. And, And we won't bother to read all of that, but it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. If, if you just want to hear some highlights, there's going to be plague. There's going to be unrest. There's going to be poverty. There's going to be beasts. Isn't that interesting? We don't even think about that. But, but one of the promises he made as a blessing is, I'm going to make sure there aren't any beasts in your country that are going to hurt you. What do we normally, when you think of a beast, what do you think about? A harmful beast. werewolf, grizzly bear. What if God decided that tomorrow all of the spiders that have been afraid of us are not going to be afraid of us anymore? I don't know about you, but I've been walking through a bunch of spider webs lately. That's the way it is in August and September. Spiders are just making webs everywhere. When I go to the woods to scout and to hunt the first part of the season because it's still warm, I always hold up a stick in front of me as I walk along, because I know I'm going to be having to knock down some spider webs. And I must have a little bit of an allergy to those things, because if I get them on my head, man, my head just itches all day long. I have to get a comb and comb through all my hair. <laughs> I'm serious. I really do. I know that's a joke, all my hair, but I really have to do that. So so there's all kinds of ways, all kinds of adverse things that God has at his disposal If he wants to bring a curse on a people, he can do it just that fast and just that easy. How horrible have the mosquitoes been where you are? We had all that wonderful rain earlier part of the year, but what that means is now we've got mosquitoes to deal with. And so there's all kinds of ways God can can bring it in. That's one of the ways. Beasts, wild beasts of the field. And I don't think he's just talking about spiders and, and, and the mosquitoes. And then there's famine. He also mentions famine in chapter 26. And the last thing he mentions is cannibalism. Now, that might sound extreme, but God has written it into the text that when Jerusalem fell before ancient peoples who attacked it, people were eating their children. It's not in the New Testament text as a record of how it happened. But if you read through Josephus and his account of what happened in Jerusalem in AD 70, same thing. Same thing. Cannibalism. People eating their children because there wasn't anything else to eat. So it can be fantastic. It can be horrible. All depending on our response to God when he says, I want you to be holy because I'm holy. And here's how you go about being holy. All right, let's go back to the first seven chapters. The first seven chapters are are uh, instructions for offerings. Now, not everybody could make an offering. You could could bring your offering, but you had to bring it to the priests. By the way, let's talk about that. Who was the high priest? What what family did they have to come from? High, High priest, the first one was Aaron, and he had five sons, and there was your high priesthood. But what happens in chapter 10? Two of those priests are eliminated because they offer strange fire before the Lord. So now it's Aaron and two of his sons. They are the high priesthood and that family's descendants will be the high priesthood from there on out. But the rest of the tribe of Levi, those men between the ages of 20 and 50 were the ones who served in the tabernacle. They took care of the furniture and the furnishings, lighting the lamps, everything that needed to be done. That's what the Levites would take care of. And they were also the ones who had the the physical job of handling the sacrifices as people brought them in, getting the firewood, lighting all that stuff. By the way, how often did the fire have to be lit? It stayed lit. It stayed lit all the time. That fire stayed lit. That's one of the things, I can't remember who I read many years ago, but they were talking about their approach to Jerusalem in ancient times and how you could, from a distance, see the smoke ascending from the temple. And what a a lesson is that? Every day you look towards the temple and what do you see? You see smoke. What's that smoke there for? That's the smoke that's been kindled on the altar of sacrifice because the people sins. The smoke of that, those sacrifices, was constantly ascending before God. And as Leviticus calls it, refers to it as a sweet-smelling, a soothing aroma to God. Now, God doesn't have a nose. He doesn't have an uh, uh, olfactory lobe in his brain. Doesn't doesn't have a brain. That sounds bad to say that. God doesn't have a brain. He doesn't need a brain. He is a spirit. And Jesus said that a spirit doesn't have flesh and, blown, and bones as the apostles saw him having, So God does not have that. But he still says, he wants the people to understand that the way he perceives or experiences their sacrifices is, it's a sweet-smelling savor. We'll get to that in just a little bit, but let's go to chapter 1, verse 3. Leviticus 1, 3. Talking about offerings... And he says, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it. A male without defect, he shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Why? That he may be accepted before the Lord. Does that remind you of Genesis chapter 4? That should remind us of Genesis chapter 4. What happened in Genesis chapter 4? Stop thinking about it. Okay, you got your Bible memorized. Oh yeah, that was Cain and Abel, wasn't it? What happened with Cain and Abel? Everybody remembers that Cain killed Abel, but why did Cain kill Abel? It was, it was a religious dispute, is what it was. Cain offered a sacrifice that was acceptable to God. The Hebrew writer will tell us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, that Abel made his offering by faith, which means he must have had some instruction regarding that offering because Romans says faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So there must have been something given by way of instruction for those offerings. And Abel kept the faith. He kept what was apparently delivered to him. And he offered a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. Cain did not. Cain offered it the way he wanted to offer it. And God called him on the carpet for it. And God gave him a chance to repent. He said, why is your nose out of joint, so to speak? If you do right, won't you be accepted? If you do right, won't you be accepted? When you read Leviticus, think about that. If you do right, won't you be accepted? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. If we choose to do right, God will accept us. That's the message that Peter took to the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation. Now, how big a deal was it for a Jew to say that? In Acts chapter 10. In every nation, he that fears him and does righteousness shall be accepted with him. That's the message that Peter preached to Cornelius and his household in Acts chapter 10. That's the message in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 3. That was the message in Genesis chapter 4. You do the right thing, God will accept you. And the question is do we want to be accepted by God? And the answer is well, it depends on what you think of God. If we are in our right minds and we recall, wow, God spoke the universe into existence. And God made it possible that I would come into existence. I wouldn't be here without God. My mom and my dad notwithstanding. That was his plan for a male and a female to get together and have a baby or several babies, to be fruitful and multiply. And here we are. Here we are. That's God's plan. If we think about that, and we take a look at the marvel of the creation itself, we think, man, I want to know this person. Whoever brought this into existence, I want to know them. Wouldn't it be neat? Well, I might be asking you to to think outside the box a little bit. Anybody been to the Louvre in Paris? Yeah, isn't that cool? You're walking through hallway after hallway of fantastic artwork that goes back centuries. What if you got a flyer and it said, We're gonna resurrect all these artists, and they're gonna be here to talk with you in your own language on whatever, and they give it you. Well, of course, that's a crazy nobody could ever do that except God. But how great would it be to talk with all the great artists back down through history, all the great statesmen? How would you like to talk to Abraham Lincoln? How would you like to talk to Frederick Douglass? Who, who's in history that you'd like to talk to that you'd be so impressed with if you could just talk to this, this historical character that did something great, did something fantastic? God is saying, here I am. You want to be accepted with me? All I'm asking you to do is the right thing. That's what Leviticus is all about, doing the right thing. Well, look at verse 4. This is how we're going to go through the book, one verse at a time. Oh, I'm sorry, I just... uh, Oh, the, the last phrase. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, that it may be accepted for him to make atonement. What is atonement? We don't think about that very much outside religious terminology. But what is atonement? That's when you do something because of your sin that changes the damage that that sin has done. And it makes you now acceptable. If you're driving down the road and you're going too fast and the policeman stops you and he says that'll be $100, what's the price of your atonement? You pay the $100, okay, now we're good. Now if you're going fast enough that it goes on your record, then you pay the fine, but then you might also have to wait for a year or go to driving class or whatever, But, but there's going to be a way that you can atone for your sin in driving and that everything will be taken care of after that. All right, we're not going to hold that. That's what atonement is, and that's what this is all about. God wants a relationship with us, but He can't have a relationship with us if there is sin that's not been taken care of. And so this is what Leviticus is. It's God saying, I'm holy. I want you to be holy. I'm going to show you how to be holy. You have to make atonement. You have to make atonement. In chapter 16, by the way, that's all about the day of atonement. If you look at your calendar, you're going to see Yom Kippur. When it says Yom Kippur, that's the Jewish Day of Atonement. That's the day that the priest would go in, not just the holy place, but the holy of holies. And that's the only day of the year he could go in the holy of holies. And if you read the description of what he had to do, he had to go in three times, take the incense in, take his his own sacrifice in. First he atoned for his own sin, and after he atoned for his own sin, then he took in the blood to atone for the sins of the people. That was the Day of Atonement for all Israel. Atonement has to be made. Still in the first chapter, verse 5. He shall slay the young bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons and the priest or sons the priest shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood around the altar that is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Sprinkling. Blood is mentioned throughout Leviticus. Sprinkling of blood is mentioned throughout Leviticus. I just got down here. Uh, chapter 1, verse 11, verse 15. Chapter 3, verse 2, and verse 8. And verse 13, chapter 4, verse 6. And verse 17, chapter 5, and verse 9. We're, we're just getting started, but these are places in the beginning of the book where it talks about blood and the sprinkling of blood, and that's not all. Blood is what was offered to atone for sin. Now what does the book of Hebrews, what does a Hebrew writer say about the blood of animals and sin? It says that the blood of animals cannot atone for sin. Well, wait a minute, God, why are we reading this in Leviticus? Because when you get down to chapter 4, and to me this is huge, chapter 4 verse 20, what does it say at the end of verse 20? I think it's verse 20, yeah. They shall be forgiven. When you've sinned and you bring your offering to the priest, and the priest does everything with that offering he's supposed to, the bottom line is they shall be forgiven. Shall be forgiven. Now, if that occurred once, I would think, well, that's interesting it occurs once. But look at verse 26. He will be forgiven. Verse 31. He will be forgiven. Now, that's chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verses 20, 26 and 31, we see the phrase, He shall be forgiven for different offerings made for different sins. Chapter 5 and verse 10, it will be forgiven him. Oh, I missed one in chapter 4. Well, yeah, there you go. It shall be forgiven, verse 35. And then again in chapter 5, verse 16, it shall be forgiven him. Chapter 5 and verse 18, it will be forgiven him. Oh, chapter 6 and verse 7, he will be forgiven and though these aren't the only times, but how many times have we read it already, that if you do what you're supposed to do under the law, it will be forgiven you. You have to do what's acceptable, but when you do what's acceptable, it'll be forgiven you. What are the bases of this forgiveness? For them, in their day, it was faithful keeping of the law. Not perfection, but But bringing your sacrifice and doing what you were supposed to be. But I want you to go to Romans chapter 1. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because this is about Leviticus. But this is a very central theme, a very central idea to Leviticus. We're talking about atonement. And sin has to be atoned for. And the blood of bulls and goats will not fully atone for sin. However, God was telling those in Moses' day... If you offer up the sacrifices, it will be forgiven you. But where does forgiveness take place? It takes place in the mind of God. God knows who's forgiven and who's not. So here we are in Romans chapter 1. This is what Paul writes in verse 16 and following I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, what's the it? In the gospel, in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. What Paul is telling us is that in the gospel, by the way, what is the gospel? Simply put, as he put it to the church at Corinth, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, in the first four verses, he said it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In that gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, and what he's saying is God is showing himself to be righteous by paying the debt for the sin that he has forgiven. Uh, I liken it to using a credit card. When you go somewhere and you get your stuff, you order a meal, you get a hotel room, whatever you're getting, and then you you give them your card, when they slide your card or the chip reader reads the chip in your card, have you paid for what you just got? You have not. You have not. What have you done? You've got a deal worked out. You're going to get the goods or the services based on credit. They're going to trust you enough to credit you with the goods or the services, but your promise is that you're going to pay up. You're going to go home later and you're going to write a check out to that credit card company and you're going to pay. Now, the, where this illustration breaks down a little bit is that, that there's a middleman, and that middleman is a credit card company who pays Walmart or the hotel or whoever it is. But this is God. Saying, you keep my law, I'm going to forgive you. But those sins won't be paid for until I offer up my son. But that's coming. That's coming. And every time you look towards the tabernacle or every time you look towards the temple and you see the smoke rising from that altar, that smoke is a signal to you that I'm sending my son one of these days. And he's the one who's going to be offered up. And after my son is offered up, there won't be any more smoke. That's what Leviticus is all about. In in Romans chapter 3, this is what Paul kind of clarifies. So he says in chapter 1 that in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. But in chapter 3, verse 21, he says this Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So this is apart from what? Apart from the law. Because the law that we're reading in Leviticus could never fully atone as things had to be atoned for. But he says that law and the prophets bore witness to the atonement that he's talking about here. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. There's a big highfalutin sounding word. What does propitiation mean? A satisfactory offering, in the terms of Leviticus, we would call this atonement. Propitiation is atonement. That's fully paying what needs to be paid. Whom God displayed publicly. You see Christ on the cross? A public display, holding Jesus up off of the earth, suspended on a cross. God saying, this is me declaring my righteousness and forgiving the sin. This is my offering up for that, because death has to be paid for sin. And I'm giving my son to pay the penalty of death for everyone who would come to him. Pretty good deal. Pretty good deal. And that's one of the greatest understatements ever made. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just, and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. Wow. That's, that's that's fantastic. But that's what he's saying. Leviticus was all about God saying, I want you to be holy because I'm holy. Here's how you do this. You offer things the way I'm telling you to offer it. That's for atonement. And you'll be forgiven. You'll be forgiven. But you need to understand that the blood of bulls and goats will never fully take away sin. But you're doing this in faith, knowing that I'm forgiving you. And when I give my son, I'm going to be declaring my righteousness and forgiving you. And that's what God has done through Jesus Christ. He's declared his righteousness as if he needed to prove that to us. But that's, that's the way he does it. All right. Back to chapter 1. Verse 9. I mentioned this a little bit ago. But when these animals are offered up in smoke, they come up before the Lord as a soothing aroma to the Lord. And that's there in chapter 1, verse 9, verse 17, chapter 2, verse 2, verse 9, verse 12, chapter 3, verse 5, verse 16. This is just the beginning. There are other places where it's mentioned, but I just wanted you to see right off the bat. God's calling our attention to several things. He's calling our attention to forgiveness. He's calling our attention to the soothing aroma, all these things. Johnny? No, questions are good. I like questions. Who doesn't anybody here not like questions, get out of the house. Yes, yes. On the note of uh, uh, God's righteousness, I think, I guess I should ask you, do you think that those people in the Old Testament were as good as forgiven in the same way that God counted Yes. Right, and and he has to count anybody who is considered righteous in God's eyes has to be counted righteous because we we don't have it on our own, like the prophet said. What's what's our righteousness like? It's like filthy rags, and I don't just mean an old shirt. I think that prophet was talking about really filthy rags stuff that man. I don't want you ever. You ever meet somebody and you just look at the way they're dressed and what they say, I don't want to get near you. Something's going to jump off and get on me here. That's, that's the kind of filthiness that I think the prophet was talking about. So, so when God counted Abraham righteous, he had to because Abraham didn't have any righteousness on his own. And, and it doesn't matter if he lived prior to the law, which he did, or during the law, like Moses, or during Christianity, like us. God has to count us righteous but the only just way, the only legitimate way he can count us righteous is to do what? First, he's got to pay for sin. You, if, if somebody at Walmart called your hand on it, hey, you, you just put that credit card in there, but, but our machine rejected your credit card, so you can't have your stuff. Now, you might see that happen, and you might walk over there and say, Hey, it's it's no big deal. It's no big deal. I'm going to take care of this. And then you just put your arm around them, and you escort them outside. Well, have you taken care of it? No. You're as big a thief as they are. you got to take care of it. And this is God taking care of it. I want to forgive you. I want there to be atonement. I don't want your sins to stand between us. Here's how we're going to work this. I'm going to give you the law to school you until you're ready to come to Christ, and then I'm going to give you my son. While you're keeping the law, you're going to be making sacrifices by faith, and you're going to be forgiven, but those forgivenesses are not paid for until I offer up my son. So when I offer up my son, I'm declaring my righteousness. But in the meantime, you'll be forgiven. In the meantime, Every sacrifice you make faithful to the law is going to come up before me like a soothing aroma. Now, please don't think, don't think of incense necessarily because uh, I, I spent over six years in the service and I smelled a lot of incense. What was incense normally burned for in the barracks? To hide the marijuana soothing aroma. It's, it's like when you go down to the, the Tinker Diagonal and you're in a parking lot for one of those stores, and you get out, what do you smell? You smell, you don't know if it's coming from Logan's, or if it's coming from the Santa Fe, but man, there's an aroma down there. Oh, I could could just sit in the parking lot all day, just smell that stuff. And if anybody else here, you want to go into one of those places and say, give me whatever I'm smelling out there. And it's, it's never quite like what you smell. But anyway... That's that's what God is talking about. When you offer up your sacrifices, I'm smelling a sweet smelling savor. All right, where are we here? Oh, chapter 7. What were all of the tribes given except the Levites? Land. What do you do with land? You plant a crop on land, you start a business on a piece of property. You raise cattle on land. You raise a a flock of sheep on land, and you shear those sheep and make that wool into... You've you've got the means with land to make a living and bring an income. What were the Levites given? They weren't given any land. They were separated up, and they had to go into all the different cities. Now, they had cities that were uh, cities of the Levites, but it wasn't like you had land possessions like the rest of the tribes. So when the Israelites came to make their offering, when all the tribes would come to make their offerings, who got to keep most of the stuff? The priest priest did. That's what chapter 7 is all about. Let's read the first part of chapter 7 and just get an idea of it here. This is the law of the guilt offering. It's most holy. In the place where they slay the burnt offering, they are to slay the guilt offering, and he shall sprinkle its blood around the altar... Then he shall offer from it all its fat, the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails. Yum, yum. By the way, if you were offering or asking for a sacrifice, is that what you would ask for? See, this is another way in which the mind of God is different from ours. This is what he is asking for. He wants the fat and all the fat that's covering the the insides of the entrails. But he doesn't want just that. It says in verse four, he wants the two kidneys. anybody ever eat kidney pie? Yeah, that's what I say. I knew I'd get that response. Some people eat kidneys. I don't want to eat kidneys. I don't even want to talk about what kidneys are in there to do. Some people. Yeah, I know. I, I, all I had to do was say that. But God says, "Here's what I want. I want the fat, and I want the kidneys." That's not all. What else does he want? He wants the lobe on the liver. Remove that with the kidneys. Why he didn't ask for the whole liver, I don't know. I would have been happy if he'd asked for the whole liver. But he didn't. That's what he asked for. The priest shall offer them up in smoke on on the altar as an offering by fire to the Lord. It is a guilt offering. Every male among the priests may eat of it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. Now if you read the rest of it, you'll, you'll figure out, he's not talking about eating the kidney or any of that. All that stuff is burnt up. But the, the body of the animal, the flesh, was to be boiled, and then they ate their fill. And when you read through the rest of chapter 7, it's like that. This is God's stipulation. Now here's what the priests get. Here's what the Levites get. Here's what you're not supposed to eat at all. And some things were not supposed to be eaten at all. But the wave offering was the same way. When you brought wheat as a wave offering, that was supposed to be claimed by the priest after it was offered, made into bread, however it was going to be done. But this is is how the Levites had a living. God provided for them in this way. All right, any, any questions up to this point? Johnny, the only one with a question? All right, let's see where I want to go here. Let's drop down to uh, chapter 18. And I'm I'm not skipping chapters because there's not good stuff in there, but most of it, it's just laws on how they were supposed to live, and that's what chapter 18 is as well. But there are some principles here that I want us to, to see, to understand. Where has Israel come from? They've come from Egypt. What were they doing in Egypt? They were slaves. So God brought them up out of Egypt. He's taking them into a country that's going to be theirs, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's inhabited by the Canaanites. God's going to have them run the Canaanites out because like he told Abram back in chapter 15, I think it was, of Genesis, he told Abram, I'm bringing your descendants into this country, but it's not going to be for a long time because the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet what? It's not yet filled, it's not yet full. In other words, when the Ammonites get to be, or the Amorites get to be as, as sinful as I'm gonna let them get, then I'm sending you in as a judgment on them. That's what he told Abram. You can go back and read that in, in Genesis chapter 15. So, so he's telling them when you go into the land, when you go into this promised land, do not do what those people have done. Looking back on America in the last 50 years, could you ever have foreseen the changes in our culture and in our values that have taken place? God can. And he knew what would become of his people if they were allowed to look at the folks around them and say, oh, we want to be like them. We want to be like them. No, you don't. So he's got all these rules and regulations about your sexual relationships in the first part of chapter 18, and then he gets down to verse 24. Do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all these the nations which I'm casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled. Therefore I have brought its punishment upon it, so the land has spewed out its inhabitants. An interesting choice of words. I don't know exactly what that means, But it's graphic and it communicates. Where are we here? But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. For the men of the land who have been before you have done all the abominations and the land has become defiled so that the land will not spew you out, should you defile it as it has spewed out the nation which has been before you. For whoever does any of these abominations... Those persons who do so shall be cut off from among their people. Thus you are to keep my charge, that you do not practice any of the abominable customs which have been practiced before you, so as not to defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. That's a good passage to have a bell on. What's he mean when he says, I'm the Lord your God? What's the message? You You better do this. When I say... I'm your dad. That means we've talked enough. I'm telling you to do this or not to do that. And I'm your dad. And I have the authority to kill you if you do. <laughs> that's what you want them to think. but But that was literally true with God. And that's exactly what he did. So, in a nutshell, so to speak, that's Leviticus. The main point is... You be holy. Why? Because I'm holy. And it's not good enough to tell your little leaguers, you be a good batter. You be a good batter. You be a good batter. What do you have to do with your little leaguers? You have to show them how to be a good batter. And that's what Leviticus does. That's what Leviticus does. It shows the people how to be holy. You want to be holy before me? This is how you do it. And the thing of it is, it's not hard. It's not hard. Well, it's time to quit.